Having the presence of PPE, for example, is one thing, but the purpose is to use it. A safety culture is not something that is bought. You have to develop a sustainable culture where, you know, it's grassroots, it starts at the top and is fed through the whole system. Hi, everyone. Welcome to WorkShift. I'm Shelley Rowan, Interim CEO of the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia. It's hard to believe, but we recently marked a year of doing this show. In that time, we've had the pleasure of speaking to a wide range of remarkable safety leaders. So to mark our first anniversary, we wanted to do something a little different and listen back and reflect on some of the big lessons we've learned from those we've spoken with. And at the same time, this episode is being recorded during Safety and Health Week. We used to call it NAOSH Week. It's a time for workplaces across the country and across the continent to put a focus on occupational health and safety. But it's fundamentally about bringing people together and starting a conversation about the importance of safety and committing to making improvements in your own workplace safety practices. And this episode is going to give us a bit of a smorgasbord of thoughts from leaders in our province on things that they've learned and that they're doing in their own workplaces to make the workplace safer. Joining me in the studio today is an old friend and someone who I know knows a lot about the importance of Safety and Health Week. Craig Whitehead is currently the President and CEO of Safety Services Nova Scotia, and he was formerly a manager with the WCB Nova Scotia. Craig, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Shelley. It's great to once again be part of a team in supporting Safety and Health Week. So, Craig, before we go into some of the clips from previous podcasts, I want to talk a little bit about a big event that you were recently a part of, the Atlantic Workplace Health and Safety Conference. Tell us a little bit about the event, kind of who attends and what's it all about? The 2023 conference in March this year was um, a great success. We had over 440 delegates attending from all over Canada, including New Brunswick, Calgary, even far as Vancouver. And they represented about 20% of the actual um, attendees this year. It was over a two-day period. The intention was that there was a lot of opportunity for collaboration, for people to enjoy the various underpinning knowledge experts who were there to to share their common goal, and that was health and safety. And um, encouraging to also see the students turn up this year again. I had the privilege of speaking with around 30 OHS students from the Nova Scotia Community College back in February. And, and I think it's part of my, my background, obviously teaching, being part of further education years ago. And, and it really humbling to me to see the quality of students that are coming through in what will be the future of OHS and to see them not only attend, but in a professional way that they did, but also having the confidence to actually speak was, was a big thing for them and, great. and share the journey of how they came into the OHS world and um, again, looking forward to supporting them again in 2024. So It was pretty great. It was great to be there and remarkable as it is these days to be in any room that has 440 people in it. It feels kind of crazy, but uh, it was amazing and the energy and the enthusiasm. It was a great, a great place to be. And, and it's something that we at the WCB look forward to every year. So in light of all that, and particularly with your experience over with the conference most recently, I thought you'd be a great person to have in with us today to reflect on some of the clips from guests that we've had in the past. So let's dig in. I, I, for, the, for me, the first clip I want to share really sets the tone about a shared vision for safety culture in our province. 
So a significant date in the workplace safety community in Nova Scotia is May 9th. It's the anniversary of the Westray tragedy when 26 men died in a mine explosion. So what happened there, and perhaps more importantly, what didn't happen there from a management point of view, went on to inform Bill C-45, which allows a company to be prosecuted criminally for negligence. There's no question, May 9th, 1992, was a low point for safety in Nova Scotia. So here's how Danny Cavanaugh, the president of the Nova Scotia Federation of Labor, reflected on that and what needs to drive all of us. We all want a province that's a good place to work and live and raise our families. The paths that we're on are, are quite different, but I think at the end of the day, we need to make sure that those those paths, those roads come together so um, we can make the improvements that we're talking about here today and make sure that uh, no worker again has to, you know, get up in the morning and go to work and not come home in the evening. You know, I can't imagine what that's like to, you know, have the police come and knock on your door and say, you know, your husband's not going to be home this evening. He was killed in a workplace accident and that's something that we need to make sure that we all work together to try to prevent from happening to any family, uh, not just in this province, but in this country. Craig, what strikes you about that thinking as a leader? One thing that really hits me is, is something I tell my staff every day, and that is that um, what we do today has the ability to save a life tomorrow. And it's trying to get that through to our staff in that the staff understand you all form part of a team, that um, the province needs that. As leaders, we have the responsibility to drive safety within the workplace for sure. And um, and one thing I'll never forget is a tutor said to me going back 30 years or so, when I was a mere 16-year-old going to college was, um, you know, you've got to enjoy going to work, um, but also enjoy going home. Absolutely, and, and and that really stuck with me. It didn't understand. I didn't understand it at the at the beginning of it all. Then what what what's he talking about? Mm-hmm. But when you get older and you understand it a bit more, you you know that you know you want to be going home to your family. It's as as important as work is, and you know you've got to make sure that you segregate and and see the value and understand that whatever you do in in work could impact what you do going home. Absolutely, impact is really a key word there. And it's really, to me, that was a message through everything you were talking about. We all can have impact. And whether you're a leader, whether you're a frontline worker, whether you're a safety trainer, the impact that you can have on somebody's work and the way they work can have a huge impact on their life over time. We have another clip from MJ McDonald of Construction Safety Nova Scotia. And it's very interesting how she put this reflecting on a past leadership role that she had. If we are not willing or wouldn't put ourselves or someone that we love in a risk position, then it's not safe. From early on when I joined um, a company and I was um, in charge of all the federal facilities in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, and we had dispatchers, so the calls would come in from various public buildings. And one day, one of our responsibilities actually was the, the raising and the lowering the flag. So you you're familiar with the federal building on Bedford Row Uh as an example, and that flag. Someone had passed away and the flag was supposed to be be lowered to half-mast. It was an extremely windy day. Now, normally under the previous leadership, there was to be no questions asked. You just went and did that, no matter how windy it was on the roof. And I said to the dispatcher, you know, just tell the guys if it's not safe to be on the roof, don't go there and we'll, we'll get to this first thing in the morning when it's calmer. And the dispatcher came back to me and she said, uh, 
the guy said to say thank you. And of course, this was a half hour later. I'd completely forgotten what I'd said. And, and I said, well, for what? And, and she said, well, because no one had ever told them before, if it's not safe to go out on the roof, don't do it. it. You know, it's such a simple thing, but I would never get my son or daughter out on a roof if it's not safe. Why no, would course, I ever of ask? Of course not. To me, the concept there is so simple and yet so clear. So to quote our former CEO, Stuart McLean, and the former host of WorkShift, it's only about doing something if you can do it safely. You and I have heard Stuart say that a thousand times, Craig. You're uh, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to, to emphasize, this is more common than you think. Throughout my career in different levels, I've seen decisions being made that really create a naive reluctance to promote safety over process. And and one instance that I'd like to just bring to the table was a situation where um, in a residential building that was being managed um, at the time, the fire alarm was going off in the middle of the night. And uh, from a legal perspective, that should not be silenced at all. Right. The directive came down from the owner of the company to silence the alarm through, uh, we didn't want to upset the residents any more than we had to. And this person who was forced to do that was a, was a leader. Mm -hmm. um, a mid-level leader, but uh, that being said, had to make the decision over over the safety of those people who were residing in the building and through fear of being fired at the time. Terrible. And subsequently left the organization because of the the fact that their mo the model piece behind that didn't align to his values. And, and I think that's just a small example of what could have happened or what if. And, um, and again, the, the pressure that goes with that, not only from the legality side of it, which is, it could be a criminal offense, but also the fact that this person would potentially lose his job if he didn't do it. Uh, and that's a strong message in, in that respect. So, yeah, it really goes back to a long time ago. I started a new job and I, I went into the office and the, the person who had had the office before me had a bulletin board right behind the desk. And there was a little piece of paper on the bulletin board and written in someone's handwriting was, do what is right, not what is easy. So Craig, I, I know you've been around the safety business for a long time and you've told us some of the stories. So one of the biggest questions we've had over the years is how do you actually measure safety? Mark Fleming, one of Canada's experts in occupational health and safety, was on the show and he shared with us a very different perspective on that in a discussion about safety culture. So here's what Mark had to say. What I recommend to organizations is that they start looking at the extent to which the controls are present within their workplace, rather than focusing on the limited number of injuries that happened in the past. Right? You, you definitely want to learn from them. You know, organizations talk about you know wanting to have a target zero. And really what you're saying is that it's the absence of something. And safety is the absence of injuries. And that way of thinking about safety, I think, really is, is becoming less helpful. Um, and it's more it's it's more important to to reframe how you think about safety. So rather than thinking about it as the absence um, of injuries, to think about it as the presence of defenses, the presence of the controls that are in place within our organization. Instead of thinking about safety as something that we do, we need to think about safety as a way we do things. Right? It's an approach to doing work rather than the work of itself. I think Mark has a really simple but profound way of thinking about it. Yeah, one, one thing I thought about, having the presence of PPE, for example, is one thing, but the purpose is to use it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, walking around, for example, with a hard hat in your hand does not mean that you have PPE on you. True. A safety culture 
it's not something that is bought, which I think that some people seem to think they can have the visual out there that shows that we have this culture, we have these processes. You have to develop a sustainable culture where, you know, it's grassroots, it starts at the top and it's fed through the whole system. And it's not something that you decide upon one morning, you wake up and think, I want to create a culture. Yeah, I here's buy our a culture. culture. Yeah, I want to exactly. buy a culture. Yeah. It, it's more of about generating it over a period of time and becoming the norm. Mm -hmm. And um, And I think that implementation of that whole process from the get-go and I know when I was uh, doing my apprenticeship, um, safety was the first thing you, you were ever taught before right. you even picked up a tool of any type is that you would learn how to understand health and safety and, and the act and, and, and the importance of it and, and the fact that it could save your life one day. In that same episode, Mark goes on to talk about the simple act of a leader. And it's, it's a bit what you just talked to, Craig, of asking people what they're doing today to be safer and how that can influence a safety culture. It doesn't have to be complicated. So our next clip is with Steve Snyder. Steve ran Halifax Harbor Bridges for years and oversaw its most significant resurfacing in its history. And Dan Monk runs a residential construction firm. So let's take a listen to this clip and see what it tells us about individual decision-making. It was, it was a huge project. We really focused on ensuring that American Bridge, who was the contractor, was also the constructor. So that meant that we actually gave up the bridge to American Bridge. So they had full responsibility for the structure and the safety. We put a lot of time and effort into, into making sure that, that they at least started the project with the appropriate safety program in place. What we found was that the person who makes a lot of difference is the senior contractor staff on site. So the, the, the contractor leadership, you know, um, if they demonstrate a high regard for safety, then their team will. If they, you know, don't focus on that, then it becomes more of a problem. And, and we actually had that challenge throughout the big lift. There reached a point in time where, where uh, we were unsatisfied with the contractor's focus on safety. We couldn't get them to, to refocus or change. And we finally said, look, we're stopping the project. We're you know, put down the tools um, and you need to come back and demonstrate to us that you've got the appropriate safety program in place. And you're on a big risk. I mean, how much are they going to sue you for? It was a huge relief to our management team that we took that position and said tools down. Because otherwise, we were running with the risk of somebody being hurt, and, and that's hard to live with. Yeah. And so our team was very relieved. We run into the same thing with homeowners. Well, we're working in their home, and I don't know how many times I've had homeowners who love to pop into the site after hours. Well, it's a controlled site, and they've had to go through doors and barricades to get in. But they get in and walk around... I even had a gentleman, this is about four or five years ago, we were redoing his kitchen. He decided to walk through his kitchen that was under construction in the middle of the night in his bare feet to get a drink of water. And I got a scathing email the next day that he drove a nail in his foot and how inappropriate my sight was because it wasn't safe. I said, I had to, you know, I didn't want to get too cranky with him, but I said, well, we tend to wear work boots when we're on your job site and on our bare feet. They call it personal protective equipment for a reason. 
So, Craig, I, I know you've worked in construction and you're a bit of a handyman yourself, I do believe. Um, but in your new role as a leader, is there anything in that clip that really stands out to you? I'm smiling as I'm as I'm listening to this is because it's such a familiar story. Of course. In that um, we see it so often where um, working in residential, as I used to myself, through renovation and restoration, it was um, situations where we would have to do full renovations. They could have had a flood in the house or whatever, and um, they just couldn't live in there, so they'd go and live in a hotel. But they'd, they'd, they'd want to come and have a, have a look every night or every weekend, like, like Dan mentioned there. And they come in just for a look. And on one occasion, we were doing asbestos removal, um, which is an extremely, um, you know, volatile area where it's enclosed and there's wet rooms and shower rooms and things like that. And, you know, even through the signage that's put up there, you know, do not enter. These people were just walking through and having a look and these breathing all these fibers. and, and, And I think at the end of the day, you know, the fatalities could come not just from the fact that we have people who are insufficiently trained to do the job, but the fact that we could have general public get themselves injured as a result of their naivety. In my family, um, ladder safety is uh, as of a particular interest. You, you in know, working with me, you may have known I was always very careful about ladders. Well, the story behind that story is someone in in my husband's and my family fell off a ladder doing a home project and had a a massive, massive life-altering injury became a quadriplegic. And it can happen in a moment. And it is those things that I learned about ladder safety, not from my dad, who used to (laughs) put up a big high ladder and paint his house, but I learned it from work where I know the principles of it. And you take that safety home. And uh, a simple act at home or at work can change our lives forever. And um, it makes us think about those things very differently. So it is, we all have a responsibility and and we have great opportunities to learn at work, at home, and a great, great places where we can apply that kind of learning. You're, you're right. And I think, you know, you, you hit the point there where people use ladders at home. They may be cleaning their eaves out or they may be cleaning their windows or even doing a bit of painting. You know, trimming a branch off a tree. It, it can be anything where they need access equipment. And um, for the most part, um, at home, you either have a step ladder or a small extension ladder, that kind of thing. But have you been fully trained in it? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done it for 20 years. I know what I'm doing approach. And um, all of a sudden, a gust of wind can take them off if they're not Absolutely. careful. So, um, you know, these are the types of accidents that we really don't prepare for. Mm-hmm. We all too well know the impact of traumatic injuries in the workplace. And mental health and psychological wellness in general is an important focus for all of this. Are you finding this shift in your role as well, that we are having a a combination of a focus on both physical and psychological safety? Yeah, we keep hearing how the pandemic has changed uh, the way we do business. It seems to be uh, an everyday occurrence these days. But one thing that has done is emphasize on how we look at people differently. We are seeing more and more requests for mental health training in the workplace that and we're having to adapt as an organization to make sure that we can support that. And um, and that is obviously something that we're seeing more and more. And, and not just with with our organization, throughout Canada. Absolutely. It's a great, uh, it's a great example. Another favorite episode of mine was the one with uh, Corporal Deepak Prasad of the RCMP and Jackie Kinley of the Atlantic Institute for Resilience. And they talked about the differences in how we think about physical and psychological safety, as, as you just talked about. Well, I think of psychological safety almost like a hard hat. You know, like you wouldn't go into a place without a hard hat. So the resilience training 
teaching people in advance, right, what emotions are building their capacity to contain them, to tolerate them, to decompress from them, all of those things, teaching them to stay grounded and focused and and strengthening the relationship that they have with themselves, that fortifies people so that you can actually, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you practice layups over and over and over again. So when you're, you know, in the game, you know, game on, you know, your chances of scoring are a lot higher and your chances of getting injured are less, right? Because you're stronger. But we can mitigate unnecessary suffering. Yeah. And this is great that you mentioned this to Jackie. So um, something that uh, that I do as a side uh, duty is uh, I'm a use of force instructor. So we do a lot of training when it comes to scenario-based training, right? So we're actually physically in there. So when the time does call to, to call them to that skill set, you know, they don't have they have something to go with from it from it first. So when we talk about psychological safety and building that whole program, it just can't be just one silo. It has to be in every avenue. So to me, what Deepak and Jackie are talking about there, it's really valuable insight for all of us. It's about taking a broad approach to creating workplaces that are safe and healthy, both physically and psychologically. Throughout the years, I've been involved with different organizations and different development teams through learning about the what-if approach to to safety. And, and I'm a what-if person anyway, but it's that preparation in, in, a, in a different scenario-based situation. And to me, this provides a natural sense of security when you talk about psychological safety mm-hmm. because it's given people the understanding that you know, we've done our due diligence in preparing the best that we can and ensuring that we have the best interests at heart. Yep, absolutely. It is it is thinking about that work experience from a through a very different lens when you think about both physical and psychological safety. Absolutely. There's another episode that I really like that I think has a lot to teach us about this idea, that notion of what it truly takes to make a workplace into a place where people want to be. So give this one a listen. I think many of our listeners here in Nova Scotia will recognize this voice. One of the things that I keep hearing from people is how the, the pandemic actually, and especially in the first wave, the first you know the first year of the pandemic, where a lot of stuff stopped, it actually gave people a chance to rethink really about what are their priorities in their life. But also, I think it's helped people think differently about work. Uh, I think that this is part of what's probably behind. I'm I'm speculating on this, but I think it's, it may well be one where people are getting a higher priority on on uh, how their workplace supports their health as a priority for 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 what they want from their workplace. And I think for employers to recognize that that their their employees may be looking for something different, but also the fact that we now have a greater focus on health and wellness. So I think the, the pandemic and, and maybe the opportunity of the pandemic and the outcome is a, a way for us to reevaluate our priorities and to think differently uh, about right. things. The pandemic has certainly taught us a lot of things, but I think Dr. Strang sums it up really, really well. It has prompted us all to reevaluate our priorities and to think differently. I mentioned this earlier and it was about um, people should always enjoy going to work and coming home from work. And understanding that this is not only achieved by oneself, but the experience that takes on the responsibility of the employer. Even before the pandemic, I always had believed that it created a culture of inclusion, welcoming, engagement, and purposefulness for for employees. But but coming out of the pandemic has certainly changed the way we lead our teams. I think I find that you know within our organisation anyway, they do enjoy that new culture that we've created at Safety Services where. People are engaged. They are asked questions. They want to be involved with 
decision making and um and they they feel like like one big family like like you know like the WCB I felt was mm-hmm. my family and mm-hmm. and still is is it's is creating a culture that makes people want to come to work making them safe and then making them look you need to go home absolutely absolutely and and it it's very purposeful you use that word purposeful being able to understand and know that what my purpose is and how I can do that through my work So in putting this episode together, I had the opportunity to take a look back at what all of the leaders we've had on the podcast have said. And there was one common theme that really stood out for me. Here's some quick hits. I think just from the stories we've just shared that uh, front of mind is that um, every individual lost is one too many and they're people and and their loss has widespread impacts on families and relatives and friends and communities. When I see those uh, people speak, to me, there's no air between that loss and the loss that I see on the faces of family members and co-workers um, today who've, who, you know, who may have lost someone uh, six months ago. It's exactly the same kind of impact, the same kind of frustration that how could this possibly be happening? I mean, that's, that's all the motivation I think anyone needs. Because it's, you know, we have fathers and sons and mothers and daughters who are working on our site and we need to make sure that they go home to their families and so it's it's been our individual commitment myself and all the other managers and supervisors and the employees so how do we get our industry safer and you know not just about talking about safety how do we actually implement it so guys and gals are going home unbroken We sell safety as taking care of yourself and going home to your family. We peel everything away. Hmm. The number one thing that we have to remember for those leaders is that person coming into that door, that your your person coming into your office. Stop and have remember that they are a human being and that they need to be supported and don't forget their families. Um, it's It's a big part of things. So it's about the people. We're all human, and so uh, at the center, uh, we're sort of all the same, and we all have the same needs. You know, we need to be treated with respect. We need to feel safe. We need to, um, you know, be loved, understood. We need to feel like we fit in and we belong, and we have, you know, purpose in our lives. So I think all of those things matter. My approach to that is, A, you have to see your employees as individuals. We can't just say, you know, my employee base every one of them is an individual and you have to care about each and every one of them. And that the accountability for that safety culture lies on me. It's hard for me to add much to that, Craig. You can see such a theme throughout all the episodes from all of our guests. People are at the center of everything we do and helping them get home safely at the end of their workday to what matters most is what drives this work. Most of us, I think you included, Craig, we would not do what we do if we didn't believe that. No, I, I totally agree. I think um, being part of this today, it, it's pretty evident that there is a passion for for safety that the others are shining through on as well. So it, it's great to be part of something that we all have the same goal. And and I think as leaders moving forward, it, it's it's creating those and generating and maintaining those cultures that will support a safety culture for the future of Nova Scotia. So, Craig, it's been a pleasure to have you here today as our guest. Great to chat with you about safety again. It's been so great to see you. Thank you for joining me. You're very welcome.
In our next episode, we're tackling leadership and return to work and how workplaces can support their employees whose lives have been changed by workplace injury. Here's a preview. As evidence shows, the longer you're off work, the less likely you are to return to work. And it's a huge cost to everyone involved. But again, it's up to the individual because, Shelley, as you know, what might impact you might not impact me. Where we're going to be focusing on is more about how do we prepare our staff. And that's part of the psychological health and safety program is how do we prepare them for this day? Thank you for listening to WorkShift, a podcast from the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at worksafeforlife.ca.